It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 177 for January 24th, 2010. Recorded on January 22nd, 2010, with a cat in an open window. Here's an important warning. Believe nothing I've said about antivirus programs so far. I received a question this week. After reading your latest newsletter, I'm a bit confused. I'm looking for a new antivirus. Currently using a vast and not thrilled with it. If I am interpreting your letter correctly, there still isn't one you recommend. Correct. And I was beginning to be more than a little disheartened by what I was finding. But now I've found something that after just a few days seems like a winner. But I'm not going to tell you about it. Not yet, anyway. As I wrote in reply to the question, I'm puzzled, too. But I think I found something good, and it is a huge surprise to me. It'll be at least a week until I can make a decision. Hang in there. I think I'll have a recommendation for you, and it should be soon. This has been one of the most frustrating searches I've conducted in a very long time. It's been a search with lots of false leads, dead-end alleys, and unkept promises. To recap the story to date, many years ago I dumped Norton Antivirus. I did that because it had become such a resource hog. When the replacement AVG antivirus started causing the same kinds of problems, I tried, and eventually threw out, more than half a dozen highly recommended programs, some of which caused severe damage when I uninstalled them. Some caused simple tasks, such as collecting email to consume five minutes or more, while others only doubled or tripled the amount of time that the task should have taken. Others had interfaces that were just entirely too cute and all of them fought with other installed applications, and the battles created a disk saturation problem. Disk C would jump to 100% transfer capacity and stay there for several minutes, sometimes joined by other drives. That makes the computer all but unusable. Now, chances are my computer isn't exactly like yours. At four years of age, it's a bit underpowered, but it has a huge amount of disk space, and I use an online backup service that has to keep an eye on the files to see when they've changed so that they can be backed up. This process and others all call on the Windows Process ID 4, and the real-time antivirus protection watches all disk reads and writes on all drives. You may have a more modern computer, one with a faster processor, or you might have less disk space. The combination I have creates a perfect storm that can make the computer extremely sluggish when disk access peaks. So last Sunday, I installed yet another antivirus application, and the effect was stunning. It was as if I had bought a new, faster computer. If this application manages to keep me happy for another week, I'll tell you about it. But I'll warn you, you better be sitting down when I do. Around 1985, I started asking whether the age of the CD-ROM had arrived. It hadn't. I asked the same question for the next couple of years, and eventually the age of the CD-ROM did arrive. It was a short-lived victory, and the CD was superseded by the age of the DVD. In the early 1990s, I began asking if we had reached the year of the digital camera. I kept asking that long enough, and eventually that year arrived. 
The Eastman Kodak Company began trying to find a way to reinvent itself, something it's still trying to do. For the past several years, I have been asking if this is the year of Linux. The answer has always been no. And that may not change anytime soon. As much as I like the idea of open-source software, and as much as I like the way Ubuntu has developed its Linux distribution, this is not the year of Linux. I doubt that next year will be the year of Linux, nor the year after that. The Linux faithful are going to scream when I say this, but there is no software for Linux systems. Okay, I waited long enough. I hope the screams have died down now. Now, it's true there are thousands of applications that have been written for Linux. But where's the application that can match Office? It's not OpenOffice. Where's the application that can match Photoshop? It's not the GIMP. Where's the application that can match Dreamweaver? Where's the application that can match Snagit or Thumbs Plus or Timeslips or Nero or SecureCRT or Zara or Digsby or Carbonite? They don't exist. If there's one target that Linux should be hitting, it's the office. If you work in an office, what do you need? You need an office suite that includes a word processor and a spreadsheet program. You probably don't need the high-end word processor features. Despite what I said a moment ago, Linux and OpenOffice are adequate for the vast majority of office workers. You need an email program. Linux has applications that will meet most office workers' needs. So why isn't corporate America flocking to Linux? I think it's because the managers need access to an Exchange server, or a SharePoint server, and you really can't get there from Linux, at least not easily. For managers to be able to communicate with the worker bees, everybody needs to be using the same system, or so the theory goes. Now that's probably the exact same reason why mailroom clerks are always given a key to the executive washroom, so they can all be using the same system the bosses use. Okay, sorry, just a little bit of hyperbole there. Managers could use one system and workers could use another system, but don't hold your breath waiting for that to happen. There is simply too much fear on the part of corporate IT, and Microsoft is pretty good at sowing fear, uncertainty, and doubt, so the FUD factor rears its unattractive head. I think I'm going to stop asking if this is the year of Linux or if next year might be the year of Linux, because it seems increasingly clear that although Linux will continue to be the logical choice for some people, Linux is the operating system of the future, and it always will be. Opera is the browser that tried to bring sanity to an insane world. More than a decade ago, when Microsoft and Netscape were battling for world supremacy based on which of them could introduce the most bizarre non-standard features... Opera's philosophy seemed to address building the best possible standards-compliant browser. Netscape is dead, although a few diehards continue to use it. Microsoft's browser is generally scorned, but it's still the browser that's used by the largest number of people. Firefox's add-ons make it the browser I couldn't live without. So why is Opera now my default browser? I do seem to have a lot of browsers installed. Internet Explorer is there. Firefox used to be my default browser. It is still my primary browser. Google Chrome is installed. Apple's Safari is there. If you dig deep enough, you'll probably find some other browsers on the system. And until recently, Firefox was the default. The default browser is the one that answers when the computer user clicks a link. 
And I think I can make a pretty good case for choosing Opera as your default, even if you're a Firefox fan, and even if you use Firefox, as I do, as your primary browser. There's a difference between primary and default. Primary is the one I use for most sites. Default is the one that's going to open if I click a link. When you click a link, you expect your default browser to open and to display the website that's referenced by the URL. But the very thing that makes Firefox my favorite browser makes Firefox my most annoying browser. When it loads, Firefox checks to see if any updates are available, either for the browser or any of the add-ons. If so, the page you're trying to load will fail as Firefox attempts to obtain the updates. I could turn off that behavior, but I prefer to leave it enabled. When Firefox finds an update as it's trying to open a web page, it throws an error that's not even close to being a good explanation for what's happened. You'd think, or at least I would think, that the developers would be smart enough not to get in the way of an HTTP request, or at least to display a message that explains what the problem was. I like Firefox. Indeed, I can't do what I need to do without some of the add-ons, but I don't have to open every site in Firefox. Opera is smart enough to open the site that I've called for. So is Google Chrome, for that matter, but Chrome continues to be somewhat crash-prone. Even if your primary browser is Firefox, making your default browser Opera could make a lot of sense. If you decide to give it a try, let me know what you think. And while you're looking at browsers, here's a list of some you should consider taking a look at. Opera, of course, as I just mentioned. Firefox, if you're not using it. Chrome. Safari. Definitely not my favorite on a Windows machine, but worth a look. Internet Explorer. If you don't have version 8, make sure you upgrade to that version as soon as possible. Netscape. Well, it's no longer being updated. It hasn't been for several years, so this is a good one if you want to live in the past. There is SeaMonkey. It's based on Mozilla, Amaya, which is the World Wide Web Consortium's browser and editor. Kind of a neat application. Avant is a plug-in for IE. And if you want to go to the real old days, download and take a look at links. All plain text. No graphics. In Short Circuits, I just talked about browsers, so I have to ask if you're still using Internet Explorer, and if so, why? Microsoft has once again had to resort to an out-of-cycle emergency patch to fix a browser flaw. This one has been instrumental in allowing attacks against Google and other companies such as Chemical Abstracts. Unlike Firefox, which is patched frequently, Internet Explorer is typically patched only on the monthly Microsoft Patch Tuesday. But Microsoft said this week that the amount of attention the current problem has garnered is causing what they termed confusion about what customers can do to protect themselves. The spokesperson continued, Because of what is perceived correctly to be a serious threat, Microsoft will release a security update out of band for this vulnerability. It wasn't really out of band, though. An out of band delivery would have arrived by some means other than the Internet. Out of cycle, yes. Out of band, no. And maybe that indicates just how much stress Microsoft was feeling as a result of that threat, mixing up band and cycle. The next patch Tuesday is scheduled for February 9th, and Microsoft concluded that would be too long to wait. Microsoft says that attacks, mainly from China, have so far been unsuccessful except on Internet Explorer version 6. Now, it is important to note that version 6 was replaced by version 7, and version 7 has been replaced by version 8, but not everyone upgrades promptly. 
The emergency update was released on Thursday of this week, and by now the Windows Update service should have installed it or at least notified you that it's ready to be installed. If you use Internet Explorer, make sure it gets installed. According to Symantec, the antivirus company, the exploit that attacks unpatched versions of Internet Explorer is on hundreds of websites. Some of them are legitimate and run by respectable companies. Still, the largest danger comes from visiting sites with hacked software, free pornography, and stuff like that. What we're seeing is essentially the first wave of a new kind of attack. Despite being aware of the threat for more than three months, Microsoft put off taking action until now. You may feel that's unacceptable. I certainly do. And it's just one of the many reasons I use Internet Explorer only for trusted websites that insist on using ActiveX controls. For everything else, there's Firefox or Opera. What brought the current Internet Explorer flaws to everyone's attention is a series of attacks aimed at Google that originated in China. And that whole mess underlines serious new threats by malware, malicious software that can quickly and easily take over a computer. I happened to be in a high-tech company office this week when an employee said that her computer had started displaying bad pictures. It turns out that while she was on lunch break, she'd received a message from a family member about some new pictures on MySpace. When she visited MySpace, an alert popped up that looked like something from AVG, the antivirus program. The warning said the computer was infected and asked if she wanted to perform a scan. She said yes. That was a very bad decision, but it's one that's somewhat understandable. I saw the pop-up message later. It had graphics from AVG, the antivirus application that that company uses. If the company had used some other provider's antivirus application, the malware would have masqueraded using that application's graphics, too. So it's pretty clever. Within seconds, the machine was unusable. Websites popped up constantly, each with an advertisement. The malware wouldn't let me run the task manager, so I couldn't kill whatever process was running. Access to the registry editor was also blocked. In short, the computer was toast. The company's IT staff had to take that computer out of service, and it is currently waiting to have its hard disk formatted. Security experts say these kinds of attacks are increasing quickly. The attacks have been thoroughly monetized by malware that searches for financial information, passwords, and the like. Once the information has been captured, it's sent back to the malware's creator for use. Google recently complained about a series of attacks that originated in China, the attackers were able to steal some of Google's intellectual property. Other companies were affected too, many in Silicon Valley, but also companies such as Chemical Abstracts with its headquarters here in Columbus. Symantec catalogs these things, and more than half of the nearly 6 million samples that Symantec has in its malware library were created in the past year and a half, the last 18 months. That's more than was created in the previous two decades Trend Micro, another antivirus provider, surveyed more than 100 companies. Every single one of the companies surveyed had been affected by malware of some sort, and more than half were found to have malware installed that was capable of transmitting sensitive data to the criminals who created the code. So I guess I better hurry up on that antivirus report that you're waiting for. We'll have it next week. I hope.
Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.